Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Amen. Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jamie Taylor. I'm associate pastor here at Valley. Like I said, Pastor Dave's taking a little vacation. So uh, the next couple weeks, I'm going to be able to preach and deliver the word. Are you excited? I know I am. Any chance that I get to, to preach, uh, it's just a, a blessing. So thank you, Pastor David, <laughs> for going to the beach. <laughs> well, this morning, um, we're going to be talking about uh, two laws at work. And I liked that, uh, that bumper because it, it talked about some specific things uh, in our lives. And, and when Devin asked me about, hey, you know, what's your, real, your heart behind the message? And it is that for us to rise up. And stop being that sleeper and stop, you know, to get off our, you know, what's and um, begin to do something with the salvation that we have received, the gift that we have received. So this morning, I'm going to look at two laws that are that Paul talks about and one of and the law that's at work in our lives that has a tendency to to get us stuck. And what we can do to get unstuck. All right, so. Let's pray, and then let's jump into the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. You are so amazing. Lord, uh, your Word just, just calls to us. There's just so much wisdom. There's so much direction for life. It's everything that we need to know. We just thank you for your Word. So we just pray right now as we, we dive into your Word that the Holy Spirit reveals to us what you are speaking this morning. Lord, your Word says that you are constantly speaking, we just fail to perceive it. Let that not be the case this morning, God, because our ears are attuned to you, and we are listening to what the Spirit has to say. We just thank you. Guide us. Teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the first seven chapters of Romans, you know I love some Romans. That's my book. And the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul is trying to convince the Jews in Rome of salvation through Jesus Christ. That the law was powerless to save them from their sins. So the first seven uh, chapters, that's what he's doing. And, And this idea of salvation through grace, a gift of God, through faith alone, is is. It's really hard for a lot of them to accept. Now, the church in Rome was actually established by some converts that, um, I mean, what tradition says is by converts that got saved on the day of Pentecost. So they left, from the day of Pentecost, they left that place and went to Rome and planted a church there. So Paul's talking to not just Jews, but also, I imagine, a lot of Gentiles there that have uh, converted. So we're going to pick up Paul's, what I call Paul's lament, uh, at the end of chapter 7. So he comes to this place, and it's really a place of anguish. It's a place of, of like, oh, just utter frustration with himself. And he laments that there's two things that are operating in his life. But to give you a little background for myself, 
I grew up in a church that um, was very charismatic. Of course, I was born in the early 70s and 71. And so grew up in the charismatic movement of the church. And, you know, I was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what, you know, that's what we used to say back in the day, right? So there was almost this expectation that, and I mean, definitely I didn't have an, I don't know about the pastor, I don't know about anybody else, but for myself, I didn't have an understanding of that last part. I understood saved, but, or excuse me, that second part. Sanctification is kind of a hard thing to understand sometimes. So the question, what kind of spurred this on, the question in my mind was, if I'm saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, why do I keep on sinning? So there, I still keep on sinning, so there's got to be part of me that still sins. There's got to be part of me that's not redeemed. So the sanctification is this process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. So really, that's kind of, theologically, that's, doctrinally, that's kind of at the heart of this message. So I want you to keep that in mind. And if you remember my last message, that's kind of where I left off. That was, that was six months ago or so. But you got some good memories out there. Sanctification is where I left off. All right, so let's take a look at it. If you'll turn uh, in your Bibles... We're going to pick up at the end of chapter 7 uh, in Romans, verse 14. Now, Paul talks about some different things at the beginning. I encourage you to go back and read that first section of 13. But instead of reading the whole uh, chapter this morning, uh, we're going to start at 14. So Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh." For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I, know, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Are y'all confused? No? That gets confusing sometimes to me. He's like, well, back and forth. Conflicted, Paul is. <laughs> I find then the principle that evil is present in me. What? But I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. How can evil be present in me? Hmm. Interesting. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man. There's Paul's lament. How many people have ever looked, got up in the morning and looked in the mirror and said, oh, wretched person you are. What you did last night was just unspeakable. 
wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul is in anguish. Remember that he just got done trying to convince the, the Jewish people and the converts in Rome that they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the law was powerless to save them from their sins. And so he comes to this place of anguish to say, yes, I'm an apostle, yes, I'm preaching the gospel, but there's two laws at work. The law that's in my mind, the law of God, which I want to serve in my, I mean, I just desire to serve so greatly, but then there's this law that I cannot overcome my flesh. I cannot obey God's law. There is no possibility of me achieving goodness through the law. He's kind of disgusted with himself at his inability to adhere to the law. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. So, teacher of the law, very devout, very strict. And he came to this place of anguish in his soul to say, I'm incapable of obtaining salvation only through Jesus Christ. It's the only way that I can. So that's Paul's lament right there at the end. So we're going to break it down. We're going to take a look at these laws that are at work. The first law, well, let me back up just for a second. He points something out that's really interesting to me. He points out that the law is good. If I asked pooled you guys, how many people will say that the law of God is good? That's a no-brainer, right? The law of God's good. Yep. Anything that God gives or does is good. But see, Paul's really, he understands the human heart. He understands that what the reader's going to do is they're going to say, if you read the first uh, 1 through 13, He's convincing them that it's not the law that is evil, but it's sin that is evil. Far apart from the law, sin is still sin. The law, all the law did was made you aware of your sin and the effects of sin and the character of sin. So long before the law was ever given, people were still sinful. We know that, right? God kind of sent a flood and destroyed the world. But we, he, Paul knows that what people will say, and this is going to sound familiar, well, all we got to do is just do away with the law and we won't have no more problem with sin. Doesn't that sound familiar? Hey, let's just stop praying in school. Let's just get rid of the Bible. Let's just get rid of you know, Christianity. Let's get rid of you know, this superstitious belief and we won't have no prob- more problems. Just through intellectual assent, we'll be able to govern ourselves by the morality of which we have just on our own, aside from God. Does that sound familiar? Nothing new under the sun, is there? Paul knew. Paul knew that's where man would go. Paul knew that's where they would go if he said that, you know, um, well, gosh, it's, it's, it's sin within. It's no longer I that sin, but sin within me. Well, that just gives me a free ride to keep on sinning. So he says... May it never be. Doesn't give you 
right just to keep on sitting so that grace may abound. So a lot of this, Paul is kind of preempting the arguments that people might have. Well, if the law made me aware of my own sin, then all I got to do is do away with the law, and then I won't be aware of my own sin. Makes sense to me. A couple generations, we're just doing whatever we want to do, whatever feels right, whatever feels good. Paul's an interesting character. He's smart. As Pastor Dave told us last week, he, he uh, studied under Gamil, one of the most famous, influential um, priests at the time and teachers of the law at the time. Paul was the elite, intellectually speaking. He wasn't, from what I understand from my reading, he wasn't a real impressive man, like big and strong, like a fisherman like Peter or something, but he was very smart. So they were afraid of Paul because of his intellect. And now he's saved, preaching the gospel. So these are the laws that he, he talks about. Two laws at work. The law of God is at work in our minds. The part of us which is redeemed. Our new nature agrees that the law is good and longs to adhere to the divine standard. We understand that Paul is saying you cannot keep the law. Can't do it. Impossible to keep the letter of the law. So now the law is no law. It's not that we're following the letter of the law, but the law is written on our hearts. And that's what Jesus came to do, right? Fulfill the law so that the law would be no longer based on works, but on faith, grace. So that's what we have to understand. God never intended for the law to damn you. He always intended on the law to point you to your need of a Savior. The need for Jesus Christ. And when, when Jesus came and he died and he rose again and the Spirit of God now dwells on the inside of man, the law, the moral law, so the ceremonial law was done away with, but the moral law was written on our hearts. The only hope that we would ever have of governing ourselves is through the law that God writes on the hearts of those that accept him. Man tries to do it on their own, but always corrupts because of their sin nature. So this other law, the law of sin resides and operates in the flesh, which is the unre our unredeemed humanness. Now this was really hard for me to get coming from the background that I came from. If I am holy and set apart, and there is a part of me that is holy and set apart, by the way. I'm not saying that there's not. But there's also a part of me where the law of sin is at work. That's what the conclusion that Paul came to. There's a part of me that I can't help but sin. Then he says, it's no longer I that sin, but the sin within me that is in my flesh. Make no mistake. See, people, get, people start monkeying with doctrine and theology and, and they want to make it, you know, um, attractive to themselves and, and work for themselves. So this is what happened back in those days. So, what, and then Paul is, is, goes on to argue. No, the, the law is spiritual. 
But what people want to do is they want to create a dualism with what he said there. They want to create, well, I, the spiritual I, am perfect. The sinful me, the other part of me, is imperfect. So I can just go ahead and keep on sinning and doing whatever I want, because, and it won't affect the spiritual I. That's dualism. The spirit is good. It cannot be corrupted by that which is evil. So therefore, I can just keep on doing whatever I want to do as long as I still have faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, then I'm good to go. Gnosticism. That's where Gnosticism came from. No. James said, if you say that you do not sin, you're a liar. Because you do sin, and it does affect you. So make no mistake, Paul is not saying that we have two natures, an old nature and a new nature that is at work in our, in our lives. He's not saying that. He is acknowledging the presence of sin in his flesh. So you've heard me preach before about that we're a tripart being. We have a spirit. We have a soul and we have a body. Our spirit is saved. It is, that's a done deal. Our spirit is saved. And our soul is being saved. So this is what Paul's talking about. The process of sanctification. Our soul, there's two laws at work. In our minds, we want to serve God. We want to do right. We want to obey God's law. But in our flesh, our wants our desires, our memories, our addictions, on all those things, we still want to do evil. It's these things that are work in our flesh that, that, uh, that come into conflict with his, his mind. Those things that are at work. So he, he kind of uh, separates it into two categories. It's his soul that he's speaking of. In his mind, he wants to serve God. In his flesh, he's incapable of serving God. Paul is conflicted by this inability to adhere to the law. In frustration and grief, Paul laments, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Don't raise your hand now. <laughs> How many people have been there? Who will set me free? You know, I think many people, uh, many Christians, I'm, I'm speaking to the Christians this morning, because, you know, there's some controversy about whether this was even written, uh, what Paul was writing about before he was a Christian or, you know, before he was saved or after he was saved. Well, obviously, I mean, if you read the context of everything, I really believe that, that Paul is talking about the state that he was in currently, which is saved, an apostle, okay? People get stuck. Paul was stuck right there, paralyzed, unable to move forward in their faith because of these three things that we're going to talk about this morning. Paralyzed by fear of our flesh, 
fear paralyzes us. And this is what happened. This is my experience that, um, through all the years that I've been doing counseling and working uh, with teenagers and the youth pastor. Right, Marcy? Woo-hoo. Marcy was my youth. She's back. Let's say everybody say hi to Marcy. Working with youth, working in the school system, working with, you know, every, all these kids. What I found was a lot of young, especially young men, are afraid of the evil that's on the inside of them. Coming back from Iraq after the war, I was tormented, afraid that I was going to kill my own family because of the evil that was on the inside of me. And obviously I'm not going to do that, so what do I do? I withdraw. I become distant. And I don't talk to people, which perpetuates the thinking in my mind. And then I become aggressive. And it, You see what I'm saying? When we do not face the fear of our own sin, of our own evil on the inside of us, we become paralyzed because we know in our minds that we, we have the law of God, the moral law written on our hearts and in our minds, so we know that we're supposed to be good. We're aware of our own sin, but yet we're afraid of our own sin. And some uh, books and psychologists talk about it this way. It's kind of like the dark shadow underneath the water. Afraid to, to get in because of what might be lurking underneath. Paralyzed at the water's edge. Afraid to move forward. Afraid to go back. Because of the sin within our own hearts. Paralyzed. God, his word says that he's created good works for us. He has prepared something for us to do, but yet we stand at the edge of the water afraid because of our own sin. Afraid to move forward. You know, a lot of, it might not be you, but a lot of people get stuck there. I know I did. How could I, how could I walk in what my mind, the law of my mind, which is God's law, how could I walk in that if yet in my flesh I, I'm conscious of all these addictions and all these memories and lust and all these different things that I'm fighting against? How can I move forward in my Christian life? Paralyzed. Another area, so that's uh, paralyzed by fear of our flesh. Secondly, paralyzed by focus on our flesh. So <laughs> there's a good one. So a lot of times we get so hyper-focused on the fact that we're sinners that we just keep on focusing on the fact that we're sinners. Man, we memorize Bible verses, and I'm not saying memorize. If you've ever been in my counseling office, I do this thing called sandbagging, which is a temper. Okay, I'm going to tell you something about warfare, okay? When you're in a fighting position, you're setting up a fighting position. you got this little shovel about this big. It's called an entrenching tool. And you dig a hole, and you fill up sandbags with the dirt that you get out of the hole. And you make it a certain distance with measuring with your shovel. And you put sandbags around it. It's called a fighting position. It's temporary. 
not meant to be permanent. We're not meant to sit there in our foxholes forever. It's temporary. So if I have you come into my uh, office and I'm counseling you and I give you and you say, Pastor Jamie, I really uh, struggle with pride. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's talk about that. What do you think the root of that is? We'll go through this. And then I, I say, okay, pick three scriptures. Find three scriptures that deal with pride. I want you to write them down on a note card. I want you to put it on your, your mirror when you get up in the morning. I want you to say it. I want you to put it in your car, and I want you to have it there. Whenever you feel like pride rising up on, in the inside of you, I want you to recite that scripture. And that's good. The Word of God is good. But... If, I'm, if I live there constantly and never get about doing the work of the ministry, then all I do is focus on the fact that I'm a sinner. At some point, <laughs> it's temporary, right? At some point, I have to come into agreement with the words that I've been reciting and saying and rehearsing. I come into agreement and then I begin to walk in a different direction. Memorizing Scripture is good. Everybody, Pastor Jamie said memorizing Scripture is good. But at some point, you've got to walk by faith. And no longer navel gaze. I think I can still see my belly button. Let me push in a little bit. We can't get stuck there. We've got to move forward. Thirdly, paralyzed by failure in our flesh. I fall down. I get up. But now, I'm staying right here. Because if I step forward again, I might fall down again. I'm afraid to fail. And all of our perfectionists out there, yeah, all of our perfectionists out there know what I'm talking about. Man, all I got to do is look good right here where I'm at. And I still look good, right? Afraid to move forward because I may fail. We can't live there, guys. We've got to move forward. Sin is not a problem. Did you know that? We've heard Pastor Dave, it's not our problem. We've heard Pastor Dave many times say sin is not our problem, it's God's. Many times we've heard that. What he means is that sin has been paid for. So it's no longer keeping you from God. You are keeping yourself from God. By being paralyzed. By your own sin. Fear of your own sin. Focus on your own sin. And failure. Of sin in your flesh. The power of sin has been broken. This is what people don't get. It's not that I don't have sin. Because if you don't sin. If you say you don't sin you're a liar. It's not that I don't have sin. But the power of that sin has been broken by Jesus Christ on the cross. 
I don't, I don't have to come into agreement with that sin that is in my flesh and continue to walk there. And we're going to see Paul's conclusion in just a second. The only power sin has is the power you give it. And this process of sanctification is really about learning how to give the word of God, the law of God that's written on your heart, the power, and taking the power away from that of sin in your life. Because as you make a choice every single day to become more and more like Jesus Christ, the power of sin in your life diminishes. And you begin to walk in freedom. And you begin to experience freedom in areas of your life that you never thought you could. Because nothing you could do or say before you accepted Jesus Christ could ever get you there. we got to take it back. So, Pastor Jamie, how do I get unstuck? If, I'm, if I find myself in one of those three areas, I might be afraid of the fact that I'm a sinner. I might be um, focused on the fact that I'm a sinner. Or I might be just afraid to fail again. How do I get unstuck? Well, i got three ways, three things that you can do. Number one, by confessing it. There's power in confession, y'all. There's power in confession. I know that if I have a secret, the quickest way for that secret, and it, you know, it's an inappropriate secret, <laughs> the quickest way for me to remove the power from that little secret that I have is to tell my wife about it. Somebody should have laughed. <laughs> That's it. I mean, tell Kim about it. It's going to get taken care of. That little thing, she can wield a pan, let me tell you. She's really supportive. But you know what? We're afraid to tell. We're afraid to face it. We're afraid to to really face our sin. And we're definitely, this this is the downside to our society, this Facebook stuff and Twitter and all this stuff. You think that it increases human communication, but it really decreases uh, relationship. Because real life change happens in the context of relationships. Coming face to face with somebody, looking them in the eye, and saying, hey, I see that you're struggling in this area, and I want to help you. And then you looking back at them and going, please help me. Real life change happens in the context of relationships. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. James 5.16 There's a healing aspect of confessing our sins. You find somebody that you can trust You develop a relationship with them to the point that you can confess anything and then you do it on a regular basis. I've told Kim, I mean, I tell Kim everything. And you might like, oh, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> Somebody's out there like, ooh, I don't think I want to tell my wife what I thought a little bit ago. Or I don't want to tell my husband what I think of him right now. <laughs> we tell each other anything and everything. Why? Because we know the power of confession. And if I'm trying to battle it on my own, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to either embrace it, or I'm probably going to get paralyzed by it. If I don't do it, I'm certainly focused on it. I'm certainly afraid of it. And I just hold it on the inside. And then what happens? I start to back away from those that I love. I start to back away from God, but I still want to look good on the outside. Confess it. Renounce it. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Confessing and renouncing. We renounce it in the name of Jesus. And we don't live with the shame. We don't allow the shame to control us. We move forward. That's 2 Corinthians 4. One and two. And then by walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Canceling out the power that you've been given the enemy. Confess it, renounce it, and walk in the light. This is the part that we're not good at. A lot of Christians, yeah, I'll confess, I'll, man, I tell them all the time I, how bad I am. I mean, some people, some people hide in their sin. And then we renounce it. But this walking in the light was a tricky thing. How do I walk in the light? It's really coming to the end of yourself, as Paul did here. It's coming to the end of yourself and saying, I cannot do it. And then we look at, we're going to look at Paul's conclusion in just a second. You know, many Christians get saved and they think life is going to be perfect. No more struggle, no more pain. I got news for you. 
That's called heaven. You're going to have struggle. You're going to have pain. You're going to have desires. Those addictive stuff's going to pop up. You're going to get mad. You're going to say things that you really shouldn't have said. The question is, are you going to allow it, that which takes place in your flesh, to get you stuck there? Are you going to... Or are you going to acknowledge the power of God in your life and, and realize what Paul realized was, yes, that is a part of my unredeemed nature. There's a part of me that is unredeemed, but being redeemed day by day, understanding that, and then shifting your focus to walk in the light as he is in the light. We must intentionally engage in the process of sanctification. Confess it, renounce it, walk in his marvelous light to become more like him. This is how Paul sums it up. Everybody say, therefore. Paul starts out Romans chapter 8 with a therefore. Therefore, all those things that I tried to convince you of from chapter 1 through 7... Is right here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He, commended, uh, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Focused on the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the minds set on the things of flesh is death, but the mind set on the things of the Spirit is, is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. Somebody should be underlining that in their Bible. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Will give life through His Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. If you are actively engaging in living in the flesh, you will die. It's an act of your will to choose to live there. But if you choose to live elsewhere in the Spirit, you will not die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, ding, 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 fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons with which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, our spirit, with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. That sums it up pretty good. And that's all I got to say about that. Y'all stand up with me this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Yes, we acknowledge that we have two laws at work in us. The law of God and the law of sin. But we also acknowledge the fact that you broke the law, the power of the law of sin in our lives. We are incapable of doing it ourselves. But as we, folk, as we confess it, as we renounce it, as we turn and we walk in the light, as you are in the light, we find freedom. We're unstuck. Able to move forward in our faith. Able to move forward in the journey that you have set before us. Able to do good work. Not paralyzed, but free. Lord, we, we just acknowledge you and we thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. Lord, and we just, as I just pray for every single person here. If there's anybody here that you find yourself stuck by any of these things, three steps, confess it, renounce it, and walk. Maybe you have never even accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you want the power of sin, the power of the law of sin broken in your life, you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to raise your hand right now. Do not be ashamed. Do not fear. I'm the only one looking around. Okay, we're all family. It's awesome. But you know, even Christians get stuck. Paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed by sin. You just want to have me pray for you to get unstuck. I'm the only one looking around. Everybody's heads, eyes, or heads bowed, eyes closed. Raise your hand. If you want me to pray that you just get unstuck. I see those hands. I see them. God sees them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, for those that have raised their hand, Lord, even those that haven't raised their hand because they're stuck. <laughs> I just pray right now, God, that you just be that, 
that tow truck, Lord, that gets them unstuck. Lord, that pulls them out from the muck, that pulls them out from the mire, Lord, and sets their feet on solid ground so that they can walk the path that you have set before them. They can walk in the light. They can, they can understand your grace. They can walk in your grace and they can be set free. Freedom found in the pursuit of a spirit-led life. Lord, I just pray that you just pour out your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.